One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, Sheila talking of questions has already been on and I'm going to put this out uh, straight away now because I want to hear from other people. Is anybody else having issues with the return, you know, the deposit and return scheme and the reverse vending uh, machines? Because Sheila was on to us and while she accepts that the scheme is great and she knows all the environmental reasons and why we're doing it and all of that, and she, and, and, you know, she thinks it's good and people are, just need to get into the habit of collecting up their bottles. You can't squash them. You can't squash your cans. And then you've got to bring them back to one of the reverse vending machines and you get your money back for the deposit that you paid. But she's noticed recently, and it was just the other day, she was in her local supermarket and she said there was five people queuing. Sheila had gathered up her bottles and was bringing them along. There was five people in the queue ahead of her. And she was going, what's going on here? And then she realised that the machines at the supermarket where Sheila goes to, they weren't working. Now she said staff staff members were out doing their very best trying to get the machines working but there was a big red message on the screen saying machine not available and the staff were doing their best and people in the queue obviously were getting annoyed because they had their bags of bottles and the last thing they wanted to do was have to bring their bags of bottles uh, back home with them and Sheila says you know while you're when you're trying to get buy-in from everybody to do this to do the responsible thing and bring your bottles back she says it's going to turn people off if they turn up at the machine and there is a queue of uh, people. She accepts that there was always going to be some uh, teething problems but she said these machines need to work and work uh, properly in order for this to run smoothly or it's going to turn people off. And uh, thank you for that Sheila. So has anybody else had that problem that you've gone to your shop with your bottles and the machine was out of order for some reason? While I was reading um social media last night was a a slew of people complaining that for whatever reason the machine wasn't reading their bottle correctly. You put the bottle in. These were all bottles and cans that had the R, the return sign on them on them, which means that the person paid either the 15 cent or the, the 25 cent. But the machine, for I don't know for what reason, wasn't reading the barcode properly. And then, of course, it spits the bottle back out at you because you will have people going up who, you know, and they, they reckon up to about June, there will still be old stock on the shelves. So there'll be bottles that people didn't pay a deposit on. And of course, people will put those into the machine and the machine will return them to you saying, no, you're not owed a deposit on this. But, they, but what I was hearing from from people on social media were people saying that they had definitely paid a deposit on the particular bottle or can. It actually had the return logo on it 
and the machine was refusing uh, to give them back their uh, deposit. So I don't know how commonplace that was, but I did spot that on one thread last night on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. So anybody else having problems with the return system or is it working perfectly well for you? Let us know. 0818-103-103. Now, coming up on the programme uh, this morning, I am going to be talking about what seems like a very mean cut to allowances for specialised bras for women who have un- undergone a mastectomy due to breast cancer. Now, I know there's a big push from the Minister for Health. He's contacted the HSE and wants them to reverse the, cu- the cuts and the, the HSE now are reviewing the procedure. But we're going to be talking about it today. But it just seemed like... It It isn't that it is an allowance that is costing the Department of Health and ultimately costing the government a huge sum of money. It's a very, I think it's two bras, somebody who gets breast cancer and has had a mastectomy and they haven't gone for reconstructive surgery so they need prosthetics so they need very specialised bras. I think it's two bras and a swimsuit was what they were entitled to uh, a year. But a big cut in that allowance bringing it down to they would be allowed one bra. But I don't even know if they would be allowed one bra. They were, I think the cost was up to 60 euro and and I don't know how much these bras cost but if you went for something a little bit more expensive then you'd have to pay the difference but it just seemed so mean spirited particularly thinking of what it's about. It's for women whose uh, bodies have changed because of breast cancer and they are survivors of breast cancer and they want to go on and live as independent and as normal a life as possible and the one way they can do that if they don't go for reconstructive breast surgery is to make sure that they have proper fitting bras that come with a prosthetic. So when they're walking down the street, nobody's going to look at them and think they're any different to anybody else and they would look the very same that they looked before they had uh, a breast or for some women they can have double uh, mastectomies. So we are going to be talking about that but we put it out if uh, anybody out there has it. A comment on that, particularly maybe women who have gone through that breast cancer journey and have availed of this allowance uh, in the past and who can talk about how important that allowance was to them. And just staying on the cancer stories because there is a piece making all the papers today and it's to do, it's because of a report out from the Irish Cancer Society that's saying patients receiving palliative care at home, um, they're calling for them to be designated as extremely vulnerable customers when it comes to their energy supplier. And of course, if they're deemed extremely vulnerable, it will mean that that house can never be uh, disconnected for any reason at all. There's also a call that they should be prioritised to have their house retrofitted. And this is because of reports coming in from uh, nurses uh, and particularly the night nurses who will be going into houses at night on behalf of the Irish Cancer Society. And they say that they are discovering patients who are at end of life care, who are living in damp mouldy houses but they're living in very cold houses. So the Irish Cancer Society have released this uh, paper and they got researchers to look into what the nurses had to say and what the patients had to say and it is researchers from the Southeast Technological University have compiled this report and it's a really, really stark picture of the situation facing those who are opting for palliative care at home particularly when it comes to energy hardship and we know for a lot of people when they are at end of life uh, care a lot of people want to remain at home and we have this wonderful hospice uh, service in this country who provide the most amazing palliative care which means that people now can die at home and can die uh, comfortably and as pain free as possible in the comforts of their own beds 
outside surrounded by their family but unfortunately in the comfort of their own bed in their own home some of those homes can be very very cold. Now hardship was defined as living in a house with a poor energy efficiency rating having a low household income and obviously at the same time they're dealing with higher energy prices and the primary research found that energy hardship was recognised by nurses, it was recognised by the family carers and sadly it was also recognised by those that were receiving the palliative care and it was recognised as an issue where people receiving palliative care at home had specific needs and potential vulnerabilities due to a range of interlinked factors. And for many people receiving that end of life care, they feel the cold a lot more than somebody who's very healthy and is up and about and is active. Five people receiving palliative home care and three family carers all pointed to the mental and physical impacts of struggling with energy hardship. For example, their paper reveals that one family carer told the study, I think people need to know what it's like when you're really stressed trying to pay bills and trying to cope at the same time and care for your relative at home. Uh, They said, this person said, I was really stressed in the months before their relative died. I ended up not sleeping. I ended up having to go to my GP who had to prescribe me with sleeping tablets. A lot of that stress was down to financial worries. And due to illness, uh, treatment or a caring role a number of the interviewees said they were obviously then spending more time at home. So they were feeling the cold more. It meant that to keep the house warmer for longer, uh, there was going to be an increase uh, in costs. And that was was regardless of what fuels uh, they were using. Of course, if you've got somebody who is at home getting palliative care and is in bed and you're at home caring for them, you're not going out and about. So the heating has to be on for much longer than if you were out, if you were going to work or you were out and about doing shopping or doing other jobs, you know, you don't, you wouldn't have the heating on when you're not at home. But when you have somebody receiving palliative care, there's somebody there 24-7. Another family carer said that their relative would have hated anyone knowing that they were struggling financially. As she said, I ended up not even telling them the full story of what we actually owed because I didn't want to upset them in their final days. I'm still in that payment plan trying to pay back uh, the money. Goodness me. In a survey of nurses, only 13% reported reported that the homes where they were providing the support were always adequately warm. Only 13%. A third of the nurses had experienced a case where they felt uh, the person they were caring for uh, had to actually go without heating. The report shows a slew of recommendations to support those receiving palliative care uh, at home. Frontline staff dealing with palliative care patients should receive awareness training is one of the recommendations on energy uh, hardship and also the interventions that can be put in place. The criteria for extremely vulnerable customers also, they say, should be extended to cover those who need a warm home environment for medical reasons, including those with palliative care needs being cared for at home. And it added that those who are receiving palliative care should be encouraged to register as medically vulnerable with their energy provider because that would mean they, they couldn't have their, their heating or their power switched off. Um, while they also say those who are living in a house with a very poor burr rating 
they should be able to seek uh, uh, prioritisation from their local authority or from the SEAI for assessment and retrofitting because we know there were really good schemes in place from local authorities for people to have their homes retrofitted but there's a very long waiting list because a lot of people want to get their homes and are entitled to get their homes retrofitted for free but there should be some kind of a scheme where somebody who you know suddenly finds themselves receiving palliative care that they should be bumped up the list and that the work that needs to be done should be done sooner uh, rather than later and the report paints such a grim grim picture and when I was reading through it before I came on air this morning you know it got me thinking it's hard enough to be dealing uh, with the care of a loved one who may be at the end of life care and to have to do that with financial worries constantly in the back of your mind and concerns on how you're going to heat the house and how you're going to pay to uh, heat the house those people so need to be looked after they definitely are one of the most vulnerable in our society now on some problems that people are having with the reverse vending machines and bringing back their bottles and cans to get their deposit Martin in Fomoy said uh, why is there a problem with these bottle machines why not just put the bottles and cans into your recycling bin like we've been doing all the time no waiting no hassle just put them in your own bin people says Martin in Fomoy well if, yeah you absolutely can do that uh, Martin if you have money to throw away but by doing that you're not going to get your 15 cent or your 25 cent back these are people who have paid a deposit and want to get their deposit back but yes absolutely you can as long as you we're trying to encourage or they're trying to encourage people to recycle responsibly so you can put them in your bin but you're going to lose out on uh, 25 cent for every bottle or 15 cent depending on the size I think people will say to you they just want to get their money back but then Mary says morning Patricia just to say, I recycle my bottles and cans at Little in Kantark. I did it yesterday and I did it without a bother. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for a lot of people, if the machines are working properly, it's great. It's just there seems to be a bit of teething problem with the reading of some of the barcodes and then obviously the add-on problem when some of the machines decide to break down. And of course, machines will decide to break down uh, every now and again. And on the issue of cuts uh, or what was potential cuts to allow for specialised bras for women who are undergoing mastectomies. Uh, a, a listener says, all the money going on social housing for refugees and asylum seekers and now we're hearing of cutbacks to poor women post-mastectomy. It's absolutely all wrong. The balance of the scales is moving and tilting in the wrong direction. Charity should always begin at home. The taxpayer again being stripped over and over again. These women deserve any payments towards bra- bras or reconstructive surgery or whatever it is they need. There was plenty of money when Charlie Hawhey was buying his designer shirts and the recent flip-flop scandal at RTE. It is stomach churning, says this uh, listener. And then somebody else with great anger, I imagine, typing this text says, isn't this typical? A women's problem again. Isn't it always the same? Anything that helps women always seems to be taken away from them. We can send 50 million to upgrade Casement Park in Northern Ireland. The government and the HSE versus the women. We can trace this back to the hepatitis B scandal in the 80s right up to now. Hope the women of Ireland give the politicians a roasting when they call for the European and local elections. We will remember, 
So, and as I say, I can almost sense the anger that that text was sent to it. And we will be uh, coming to that issue on the programme in a couple of minutes. And remember to make sure you've downloaded the C103 app to your phone. We'll be asking you later on in the programme to snap a screenshot and get it into us. By doing that, you'll be in with the chance of qualifying on the programme today and going forward to Martina's programme where you could win for yourself €500. Euro. Yesterday, it was Jackie Carroll from uh, Canturk. Uh, he had uh, actually he qualified on Martinez programme. His name went into the hat and then his name came out on Martinez programme and he won for himself €500. Euro. Congratulations to you, Jackie. Snap the app. Make sure you've downloaded the C103 app uh, today and listen to play all week long here on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And when I was talking about those mastectomy products uh, for uh, for women uh, post breast cancer surgery, somebody said, weren't, weren't the cuts to allowances from mastectomy products uh, reversed yesterday? No, they, they haven't been reversed yet. They're being reviewed. That's why we are continuing uh, to talk about it. Now, yesterday, the Irish, or sorry, yesterday, the Rural Independent Group of TDs, they introduced a doll motion calling for immediate action to address the critical shortages in general practice right across rural Ireland. Limerick Dáil Deputy Richard O'Donoghue is a member of the Rural Independence and uh, Richard joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, Patricia. Are you hearing from many GP practices who are simply saying they were unable to take on any new patients? Uh, 100%, Patricia. And I, from the area where I'm living at the moment, I'm, I'm bordering Cork. Um, so I'm in a place called Grana Ballangarry. And we're very lucky to have a GP service in Ballangarry. And again, we are looking to have a GP service in Croom uh, and in, in Adair. But if we look at um, what we had in the area of Croom, we actually had two GPs in Croom, uh, God rest their souls, but they were never replaced. And practices weren't taken on because, for, for obvious reasons, um, family or whatever went on to different different practices. And some of the families went on to be... Um, consultants themselves, but they're, they're within the cities. And then if I look at Charleville, where a practice, um, where there was uh, people in the practice, and one of the people retired from the practice, they then um, had to reduce the amount of numbers coming in because they could not get another GP in with them. Yeah, so, we, yeah we we dealt with the, the Charleville. There was a practice where a husband and wife team yeah, um, yeah. retired and they're entitled to retire. Yeah. There was a huge issue with uh, families trying to get doctors to the point that they, they couldn't get one in Charleville and people are I know Adair and Croom the practices you mentioned there yeah. they took some of those patients thankfully but it means people having to travel to go to their GP A hundred percent and and that's that's what we're, we're we're trying to address here because a lot of this goes in again back in for infrastructure for when you're rebuilding uh, towns and large villages and from a point of infrastructure if you have infrastructure, you have a lot more than, than a GP practice. You, you have a lot of people that can actually, within within a unit, within a town, to make it vibrant. And if, if you look at it, practices that have been there for years, that have been there for probably two or three or four decades, uh, practices, when their children grow up and some of them go into the practice, they go to, to different areas so they, to further their careers, so they go to be surgeons or whatever they, they do. But the, what the problem here is they see the hard work that their parents have mm, done. That's exactly and the, and the hours that they've done and the knocking on the door uh, uh, late at night looking for, for help because 
when a GP is local, it's personal. They know the people, they know the surround, they know they know their family's histories from the grandfather down to the grandchild. They know everything. And they're part of the community. And they see how the, their their parents have worked so hard. And, and that them. that is and, and over the over the I mean this isn't a new problem. We've no. we've been struggling with this for the last probably decade. And I know I've spoken with the Irish Medical Organization, I've spoken with the Irish College of General Practitioners, and they all accept that it's hard to get young doctors to move to rural areas because many don't want the long hours that goes with a rural practice. Yeah, and not only that, if you want to entice anyone into a rural area, which is a large town or even a large village, wherever you're going to be, a young person uh, wants to be able to to connect to other people. And if a person comes in from from an outer area into a surgery and they want to uh, be involved in a practice, the hours are long. But if the infrastructure was there, so if there was all other facilities for people, for young people to enjoy and meet their own friends and everything else, have that within an area, it will entice them to say, listen, do you know something? I could, I could have a life out here. There is other things because it's the younger people we've got to entice into this. Yeah, and, 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 but there's an ongoing issue as well with a lot of the rural practice finding a locum, which means yeah. even if you, uh, and you're already working long, long hours, but then when you need to get some time off, you know, you might uh, want to go away for a weekend, you might want uh, to go on holidays. We had, a, we had a doctor from West Cork away to come back from holidays because uh, the, the locum that was put in place wasn't able to do the last two days and they weren't able to get anybody else. I mean, yeah. no young doctor is going to agree to working, work in those kind of conditions. No, but, but if the if the the system was there that for the point of view of if there was GPs that were there and if you look at it if the load was spread so if, if you have uh, young doctors um, coming into an area and if the government looked at right you know something if the doctor is there they're doing whatever days a week they're doing they are in the practice and they need to get some time off they should look at trying to subsidise their time off to make it benefit to make it beneficial for the person that's coming in there that instead of bringing in one locum that we might have two to split the load of when somebody is off, because that's the type of work that your local GP does. They're doing the work of two GPs. Yeah, well, and that's another point that has been made by a number of uh, doctors who are either retired or about to retire. Most doctors retiring today will need two GPs to replace them because of the, because of the work uh, that, they, that they have uh, done. And there's a knock-on effect from this as well, Richard, particularly the ones if somebody moves new to an area and can't access, can't get on to uh, the files of a GP. There's a knock-on for South Stock because people without a GP end up using the out-of-hours service, which was never what the out-of-hours service was designed for. No, it wasn't. And, and what's happening then is now that service is coming under so much pressure that they are now sending them straight into the A&E. Yeah. And it's that then has a knock-on effect then for the A&Es, and it's a knock-on effect. But that's where we're looking for investment, from to make a part of, of, of a GP's training, that they go to, to a town or a village, but not one. Don't put them in there that you... That you discredit them from saying, I'd never like to be part of a practice. Put two out there. Look at the, So when they're looking for medical people to, to train, don't send one, send two. And entice them to say, listen, your hour's been broken up here. But also those young doctors need to know that there is, from, on their day off or whatever they have, that there's something to entice them to stay around if they want to be in the area rather than having to leave that area and go back in. To, uh, into an area. And also, what would be fantastic for the likes of 
enticing student doctors come out there. It's like anything. And, and I'll actually go back even to something as simple as the farming. It's the very same thing as the doctors. When, from, when farming was being invested and the young people saw how hard their parents worked and they thought, my God, there's no life for us here. We'll be working seven days a week doing what we're doing. But when the investment came in and they brought in easier systems and farms grew, they saw that there was robotics brought into it. And they said, all right, we, we might be able to have a small bit of a life in this because there's been investment to give us the, a bit of time off for them to have a quality of life. The same thing needs to be brought in for, for the GPs. Okay. And the government and, needs and to the invest cu- in that. Yeah, and the current crisis we have, it, and, and I'm sure you hear yeah. the, 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 this complaint as well, we get a lot of it here to the programme for people who, do, who are registered with the uh, GP. It's getting harder and harder to get an appointment. I mean, same-day appointments. I mean, that literally now is a thing of the past, isn't it? Un- unless you're yeah. or- seriously Un- unwell. Unless, unless you're urgent uh, and seriously unwell. Now, now, as I say, we're very lucky and I'm with a doctor that's within a day or, and she's absolutely fantastic doing curtains. And I had an injury uh, at the start of this week, uh, an accident at home, and I rang the doctor and I explained to them what was wrong and they sent me straight into a medical assessment place in Limerick, which means that I didn't have to go to... The, she directed me in the right area where I was able to go. The secretary was able to ask the doctor and get me direct to where I needed to go because of, of what I had. And I got seen to within a medical assessment area. And there, those those assessment units are brilliant. They, you Absolutely. Know, if they're awesome. able to treat what is wrong with you, they, they are outstanding. We have them Correct. in Mallow and we have them in Bantry. Now, we're reporting this morning that the Irish College of General Practitioners are saying 350 GP training places are going to be offered in the next few years. And that's 22% more than uh, the, or in the next few weeks. That's 22% more than last year. They're also uh, recruiting 250 experienced international national GPs for, for rural practice. So is that all, that's all a step in the right direction? It, it's a step in the right direction, but, but what we need to do is, is entice them to stay. It's no, it's no good bringing in all those people and are from these places if we don't give them the, the quality that they have a bit of time off. And when they come in here, they're, they're encouraged to say that they want to stay. They say, listen, this is where I could have actually have a life. This is where I could, I could have my new life. This is where I'd like to stay. This is where I'd like to have start a family. This is where I'd like to have my family grow up. But, but to entice that, if they're, if they're working too many hours when they come to those practices, they need to make sure that they have a quality of life built into it to make sure that we can encourage them to stay. Yeah, and this unfortunately is a situation that's going to get worse because there is a, a large number of doctors due for retirement in in the coming years. So, you know, we have to move on training more GPs and, as you say, encourage them to move to rural areas. And, and accommodation, Patricia. Yeah. Is a big thing. And yeah. it's the one thing that, that we are looking at as well now is for, for people like frontline services. OK. The government should provide accommodation for those people when they're in, in the years, whether you're a guard, a nurse, uh, a doctor. When you're in your training, you, you should be have, there should be a place there that we can actually provide accommodation for people, even if it's publicly built for that purpose only, for that training, it should be done. Okay, Richard, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us.
Thank you very much. Uh, Richard, good Madam. morning to you. That is uh, Limerick Independent uh, Dáil Deputy Richard O'Donoghue on the plight of rural GPs, which seem to be disappearing. But as I say, good news. We have that story this morning with Barry that the Irish College of uh, General Practitioners saying that the new initiatives they're hoping uh, will help to ease the shortages uh, going forward. The Irish Cancer Society, they're calling for the Minister for Health to provide additional resources to ensure that no one loses out. And this was as a result of recent changes to allowances for wigs and post-mastectomy products. And it includes things like prosthetic bras and it includes things like a swimsuit that women were able to access uh, once a year. But there was changes introduced. And from what I can gather, it was kind of done rather sneakily. Nobody seemed to. There wasn't a big fanfare. There wasn't a big announcement from the HSE or the Department of Health about this. But thankfully, women have started to uh, speak out. And because of that, we're now hearing as of yesterday that the HSE is going to review the procedures in relation to post uh, mastectomy products because there's been a call from the Minister for Health and they're saying their intention uh, their intention was to standardise the allowance for the provision of what they say are extremely important post mastectomy products um, for people who've undergone cancer treatment but they say that the reason that they made these changes the HSE say that the previous system was unfair and it was inequitable. It seems that it was a bit of a postcard, uh, postcard lottery depending on where you lived in the country, you might have got more uh, post-mastectomy products than somebody in a different part of the country. So they felt that was all a little bit unfair. So they decided to standardise it. And of course, by standardising it, they went to like the lowest, from what I can gather, common denominator, rather than if some areas were giving a better service, then why not move everybody onto that better service? Anyway, the HSE have listened to the women and they say they're very much understanding the points that have been made and they're reviewing the system. Now, they have haven't changed it yet. They're reviewing the system and they're reviewing it, they say, quickly to ensure the system is fair to everyone and that no woman uh, is at a, a loss as a result of the changes. But they still haven't come out and announced what the new system is going to be. Eileen, the wonderful Eileen, and we often speak to out on Bear Island. Good morning to you, Eileen. Morning, Patricia. You, you're you're one of these women now that we're talking yeah, about I'm because I am. You had a mastectomy. You, you had a mastectomy. I had a mastectomy. I did, and and, and I think you know it should. This shouldn't even be an issue. I don't see why it's even an issue. To, to be honest with you, I know, I know, and I, know, I just don't understand why they would make this an issue. It's hard enough for a woman, you know. I I mean, I just one breast, okay? So yeah. I have one breast, and I don't have the other one. And that's really difficult. I don't think people who make these decisions understand what it's like to have a part of your body removed. You know? And I mean, then you... you for, for, were... for, for, for weeks after I had... I looked at my body and I said, disgust this. Uh, because I looked awful. You know? I've, heard, I've heard of women, Eileen, who say that it took them six months before they could look at themselves in a mirror. Well, I looked the day after. Did you? <laughs> well, the, the, the nurse said to me, you know, you you, you should look. Yeah. And I didn't want to. And I just started crying when I saw it. I know. It, 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 it is. And even to this day, you know, it, it's 18 months or since I've had my mastectomy. But even now, you know, and I mean, I don't, you see, I don't see, I, you know, I, maybe I'm being stupid, but I don't understand why this is even an issue. I know. Well, it is. It became it became an issue because the HSE decided yeah. to change uh, the system. Okay, do you have one of these uh, prosthetic bras that they're I talking do. about? Okay, I have. I have three of them actually. 
Yeah, and you, and you get so following following your surgery. How yeah. soon afterwards did you get fitted for one? And they're very specialised bras. You can't just oh, go into are, Marks and Spencer's. This is actually in Cuh. Okay. A lovely uh, lady called Margaret Burke, and she fitted me with the bras um, okay. and, and with the, uh, you know, with the prosthetics. And and it's it's not. It's, it's just I didn't. She was fitting me inside in the room, and I didn't want to. She kept looking now at this one. And I couldn't look in the mirror. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Yeah, I was yeah. totally traumatized. I have to be honest with you. I was, and I'm not that type of person, really. I know. I'm, you know, I know. I'm the type. I just get up and get on with it. But, but you know, mentally, it has a, a terrible effect on on you. It really does, and it, it it to this day, it's still because I don't care what anyone says. Once you've been diagnosed with cancer, that never leaves. You. It, it never leaves you. It, well, it's always at the back of your mind. That it is, could and it, you yeah. always have this fear in the back of your head that it's going to come back again. I mean, I'm on medication, which wrecks my head anyway, and I'm also on these infusions every six months to prevent the cancer spreading to my bones, and all this kind of thing is mental. It has a mental effect on a woman. So why make this, this about just getting a simple bra? And, a and, and, and why make it an issue? And how many bras did you get? I got three. All free? All free. Yeah. Did you get offered a swimsuit? No. No. Okay. no. See, some parts no. of the country seem to you got offered a swimsuit. And and you get them every year? No, every two years. Every two years. and yeah, But yeah. three every two years? W- w- well, no, I say no, only two. Two, okay. Yeah, yeah. Two. I just got an extra one. I think she felt sorry for oh, me. <laughs> I was in such a state. I know. I know, and it's but you see, it's not a case of you, you like you can't walk into John's stores and just no, pick up a bra. No, oh my God, no, no, because you have to be fitted. You know, they have to fit you properly, Patricia. You know, it's like you know, you, you can take normally you can take a bra for real, you know, and you can adjust it. But these, have, you have to be fitted for these because they have to fit you properly. And even then, I mean, even to this day, I find it so, I feel so conscious of it all the time. Because everyone is proud of their breasts, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. You wear, and you wear a nice clothes to accentuate your breasts. You know, you do. It's part of being a woman, you know. And it's and, important and that you have this correct fitting bra. Yeah, because it I, is important that at least you can feel, you know, when it's fitting you properly. And, and even to this day, I, I still don't think it looks okay, to be honest with you. And I still try to cover up, you know. I know, um, I know. I, I try to wear something over a top, you know, so to cover it up. Because I'm always conscious that it's there or not it's, there. As and then maybe. and then to hear that they're they're trying to cut back on... <laughs> I just, I it's just, just so mean-spirited. It, it is mean-spirited and it defies belief, you know. I think, you know, I think all these decisions are made by people in offices. They really don't care. It's like just, they just stamp something. Yeah, that's go ahead, cut that back, cut this back. And they don't ever look into the effect it has on people. And it's such uh, a small it, amount of money in the scheme of things. It's a small amount of money and it's such, it, it is so important for a woman, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, if, yeah. and if there was this, what they're saying, that the previous system was unfair and inequitable and it seems that you're in an area, Eileen, where, where if you were in another part of the country, they would have thrown in a swimsuit as well for you. So, well, if, yeah. so if they're saying it's unfair and that some parts of the country are giving two bras every year and a swimsuit and other parts are only giving one bra um, a, a year or two bras, Every two years, then make the if they want to make the, the system fair and equitable, then give yeah. everyone the 
the top level one, the two yeah, bras and the would. swimsuit. Yeah, that's it what they would. should do. Anyway, listen, I know that um, Stephen Donnelly is on the case and I did find a piece from 2017 where they tried to do something similar and the then Health Minister, Simon Harris, he hauled the HSE in and told them, forget about it, change the plans, you are not to cut supports to women. And that was back in 2017. So this has happened before, which is yeah, and really it's, annoying. It's just unfair and it's, I don't agree with people who bring in, you know, that they will give me money for this one, that one, and foreign nationals and all this guy. That has nothing to do with it, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Yeah. This should not, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this should not even be an issue. It should never have been an issue. It By the way, be. did you did you did you lose your hair with treatment, Eileen? No, no, you no didn't. Did. And no, of course, we know for other uh, women to lose their hair yeah, is catastrophic as well. It seems the, the it seems the wigs, thing, Patricia, it's but the ongoing because, like I say, when you've been diagnosed with cancer, it never leaves you. It's always there, and, and you know, it, you have to be very. You have to be mentally strong to deal with it, especially for a woman who loses part of her body. Yeah, you have to be. They're also looking, but they're also looking at the wigs. They're also looking at change the the allowance for the wigs, which is just when I saw that in print. I don't know. I'm not laughing at it because it's funny. I just laugh at it because it's still for me it defies belief. It really does that they would even consider doing something like that. But then again, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. We live in. I suppose it's the way the government is at the moment. I know. no. Uh, yeah, okay. like I say, like I say to any woman out there who's in the same position, I mean, hang on in there and, you know. You do um, get to the other side. Yeah, you do. Of course you, you do. do. Of you course do. you do. Yeah, And yeah. You've, you've always got a great positive attitude. We always well, love chatting to you. Listen, you mind, mind yourself okay. and we'll All talk right, again. God bless. Okay. Take care. Thanks That's uh, the wonderful Eileen out on Bear Island herself. Uh, a, a breast cancer uh, survivor but just showing how important these products uh, are as I say just mean mean spirited whoever came up with this uh, decision and of course it'll be a faceless person within the HSE we'll never get the name of the person uh, who decided that we'll just we'll make, it's unfair and it's inequitable so we'll just make it unfair to everybody instead Sheila was on wondering has anybody else had the same reaction as poor old Sheila to the new pot noodle ad I'm assuming this is a new ad on TV. Uh, no, I'm not aware of it. But Sheila says it's the one where the woman is slurping up the whole pot noodle in one go. Sheila says the noise absolutely turns her stomach. She's always been a fan of pot noodles. She likes them as a quick snack. But she said the ad is actually putting her right off them. She thinks the ad is gross. And she's wondering. Uh, now, I haven't seen the ad, but but you know when somebody draws your attention to something like that, I bet you every single ad break I'll watch tonight, Sheila, I'll probably end up seeing the ad. But has anybody else had uh, such a strong reaction as our Sheila to the current pot noodle ad? It sounds disgusting. Somebody's slurping up a whole pot and the noise because it's the one thing I can't stand you know if you've a noisy eater or somebody who eats with their mouth open I've a, I have a I'm with you kind of shield on that in that I have a weak stomach my stomach can turn and I can gag at the drop of a hat if I see something that's that is gross so I could be putting me off as well anyway anybody else noticed the current pot noodle ad Sheila is describing it as gross so at one eight one oh three one oh three you wonder sometimes how these advertisers how they sit down and make these ads don't you okay on the bras 
for the cancer patients and we know now that the government are, are the HSE are reviewing it and this is after a storm of women having to come out and uh, be vocal and you know there's a part of me is thinking women who have had um, either a breast or, or both breasts removed don't need to have to come on the airwaves and on the national airwaves uh, to fight for something as simple as a prosthetic bra or a prosthetic swimsuit. There's something completely wrong about that. But uh, at least now by talking out and the Minister for Health after getting involved and we know the HSE are reviewing it and we're waiting for them to come back as to uh, what's going to be their new policy on it. Nancy in Bantry says, how can they not give allowances for bras when we have politicians travelling all over the world for the up and coming St Patrick's Day celebrations. That money alone could have been reallocated to the likes of Eileen who joined you talking uh, about her post-operative uh, care from uh, Bear Island. And Maura says the government seemed to be too, giz- too busy this week anyway, giving money to Northern Ireland and indeed to other, other places. Well, the Northern Ireland, the cross-border initiatives this week's that were announced was €800 million. And listen, the price of the bras and the swimsuits are, we we can't even get an actual figure, but it isn't that high. We're not talking about millions the HSE spend on these uh, post-operative products. Maura feels they don't give a hoot about ordinary uh, people and she's very frustrated by it as well. Thank you for that, uh, ladies. And uh, hi, Patricia, this is from Eddie in Mahan. This is on the recycling, the reverse vending machines for you to get your money back on your bottles and cans. Uh, Eddie says, I think the recycling bays are great. He's used them twice already. He's had absolutely no problems. Also, he says what he thinks is great about them, people will stop and think about throwing away their bottles and cans on the street and footpaths. But that's one of the reasons that it got introduced. I know people were saying and one of our own listeners, Martin in from Oise, said, but you don't, we have our own recycling uh, bins. But they've already proven that even with the recycling bins, there's only about 60% of the plastic, the beverage bottles and cans that are actually recycled. And then, of course, even the ones that go in to our recycling bins at home, unfortunately, not everyone recycles properly and a lot of those bins end up with cross-contamination and even the ones that end up in the bins don't end up for recycling. So by doing it this way, they're going to get if they can get, they'll get that figure way above 60% because people, because it's like throwing your money away if you've paid a deposit and you don't return the bottle and a can. So Eddie in Mahan has having a very good experience of the reverse vending machines uh, so far. There's obviously been some teething problems with some of the machines but uh, overall all of that will settle down and they have I think is it the 1st of June that all of the shops and businesses have to get rid of their old stock so then we'll know after the 1st of June every single bottle and can you will buy will have the return logo on it and you will have paid a uh, deposit Uh, 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls and all of the papers today obviously picking up on the story of um, very sad road deaths and the Gardaí and the road safety chiefs are all expressing alarm now because uh, road deaths in Ireland for this year has increased to 33 and God we're not even at the end of February that's three more than this time last year. Four people of course have died in three separate road accidents and that was just in the space of uh, 48 hours this week there was a young woman who suffered fatal injuries in a collision in Waterford on uh, Monday and then there was a 33 year old male pedestrian who died after 
uh, an incident on a Tuesday in Ballina uh, when he and another person was struck by a car. And then, of course, we have one of our own from Cork who was involved. This was the two young men uh, who died in Limerick on uh, Tuesday and they have been named and one is Dara Dunley from uh, Clonakilty and along with his friend Killian Kerwin who is from Pilltown in County Kerry. They were both second year students at the Salation Agricultural College in Palace of Kenry in County Limerick. They were passengers in a vehicle that struck a wall on Tuesday evening. It was just outside Askeaton. That's on the main Limerick to Tralee Road. The two other men in the car, they both all students at the college and they were injured uh, in the uh, incident but just deepest, deepest sympathies to Dara Delay's uh, family from Clonakilty. You know, you send your your young lad off to uh, college and he was a boarder. He was residential at the college and, you know, you send them off and um, knowing that they're going on the journey of education and planning out their future career and the last thing you expect is that they head off one week to college and they end up coming home in a, in a coffin. It's just so, so sad. 15 people have lost their lives so far this month and that equates, according to the Road Safety Authority, one death every 33 hours on average. That's just for the month of February. January last year was one of the deadliest months for accidents on record. And of course, last January of 2023, that set the tone then for the worst year of fatalities in over a decade. We were reporting at the close of last year that 188 people were killed on our uh, roads. So the Road Safety Authority are releasing the research showing that men are... are dying on our roads at a rate of five to one compared to women. And the Road Safety Authority's chairperson, Liz O'Donnell, she said the situation on the Irish roads was now a cause of serious concern. She's obviously appealing to road users to adhere to safety advice, to slow down, uh, never drink while under the influence of alcohol and drugs, maintain their vehicles, be aware of other road users, in particular cyclists and pedestrians, because there has been a number of, I think the number of pedestrians uh, killed uh, so far is um, 12 and then there's been six um, no sorry um, passengers was 12 there was been six pedestrians killed two motorcyclists and one uh, cyclist and the road safety um, campaigner from the group Park who we've spoken with uh, before on uh, the programme, Susan uh, Gray. She's saying the upward spiral in road deaths was a matter of great concern. And she, what she's particularly worried about is the numbers have been going in the wrong direction for 2002 and 2003. And we're already sort of looking at the same thing happening here. And she's describing as heartbreaking the further decline in Garda Road Policing Units personnel, they're actually down by 15% since 2021. The latest Department of Justice analysis of Garda staffing levels revealed that the personnel who were attached to Road Policing Unit last year has fallen to 632 and that's 104 below the level that was there just two years ago. Susan Gray said in the same year last year that 188 people died in road crashes, the highest number in a decade. She said, we know from the data that for some uh, counties, they suffered more losses. But what she's pointing out is they suffered more deaths, but they also were the same counties that had less 
policing numbers. And, and, you know, she's allowing that to road fatalities. She says in the absence of high visibility, high volume road policing, drivers will continue to take chances and often it can have devastating results. She says there's an urgent need for more Gardaí to be assigned to road policing units, especially now in 2024, particularly when we're looking at the number of people who've already been killed uh, on our roads. And she said, look, if we don't do something about it, the figures are going to be even worse than uh, last year. And it's just for all of those uh, families. Uh, very, very hard uh, for them and their lives ahead without their loved ones. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. CMC Car Sales in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a full-time experienced car detailer. CVs please to cmc.sales at icloud.com. Teleporter driver is wanted. It's for a new housing project in Crosshaven. CVs please to tim at hamiltonfrench.com. A funeral director assistant is required at Mark Nelligan and Sons Funeral Home in Formoy. Now, experience in the funeral industry would be advantage, although it's not essential. You can email info at martinnelliganandsons.ie. And Dano Supervalue in Mallow, they're looking for a full-time sales assistant. It's for their butchery department. You can apply online or if you want to pop in in person, you can hand your CV in to the customer service desk at Dano Supervalue in Mallow. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. The issue of fly tipping and illegal dumping is a problem faced by communities nationwide with costly cleanups falling at the doors of the local authorities. So how can we catch those responsible? Labour Senator Mark Wall feels the use of CCTV could be the way forward and he joins me. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning to you, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Now, there's been a problem for local authorities not being able to use the evidence that they gather from CCTV. Has that all now been changed? It has, thankfully, Patricia. Like We've been following up this with a Labour Party bill and I know others have had similar bills. But uh, those bills were adopted under the Circular Economy Bill in 2022. Uh, and then we were waiting on the local government managers in the agency to come up with some codes of practice for use by local authorities, county councils, for the use of CCTV cameras. So thankfully last weekend, um, Minister Oisin Smith uh, signed that into, into law. So now uh, we have at long last that, that local authorities can actually use CCTV uh, cameras in the prevention and prosecution uh, of illegal dumping and littering. So that's very good news. It's long awaited for so many people, as you say yourself. Uh, and, you know, we need to tackle this scourge on our society once and for all, Patricia. Yeah, because there, there was concerns around privacy and that was allowing perpetrators to evade accountability. But it just seemed crazy that if somebody is breaking the law, then their privacy shouldn't be protected. Yeah, and that was the issue with, with holding up the bill, and that's why we introduced the Labour Party introduced the bill uh, back in back in 2021, uh, and uh, you know that was then adopted by the government's own bill, uh, the Circular Economy Bill, to uh, to get over that obstacle and uh, and that uh, legal part, uh, Patricia. So that, as I say, has now been now has been brought in and uh, as part of the Circular Economy Bill, and then as I say, we're just waiting, or we're waiting on the local government management agency to come up with the codes of practice. And thankfully, that has all now been put in place. So now we are ready to go. 
I suppose the big thing from my point of view and from local councillors on the, on the ground in Cork and, and elsewhere is we now want to see local authorities resourced in order to get this up and running so we can actually see people being prosecuted for, as I say, what is a blight on, on society at the moment because you cannot travel a rural road, an urban road at the moment without seeing uh, illegal dumping, fly tipping, uh, marring our beautiful countryside and beautiful towns. Trisha. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you. Will there be central funding to cover the cost of installing these cameras? Yeah, well, I know that, that, that some of the local councillors I've spoken to since this have come in, and it is an issue that the, the local councillors deal with almost on a daily basis. They are now pursuing their local authorities to ensure that that funding is put in place and that we have actually teams of people uh, who will actually go out and, and, and use the CCTV powers that they now have. So it's important that I've, I've asked the minister to, to come before us as well in the Shannon here to discuss, you know, rolling out those uh, funding for local authorities should they need it. But I, I do feel local authorities have already use it as you said yourself but now they have the powers to encourage and grow the use of, of CCTV cameras so I think that's important too so we need to see the funding we need to see the resources put in place uh, but we also need to see them up and running as quickly as possible Yeah if Someone wants to know will, can drones will councils be able to use drones to gather evidence? Yes as, as, far as, as far as the legislation goes drones are also and, and the body cams as well in relation to that as well are form part of this legislation so that can form part of it as well uh, you know so that's, that's the there, there is a lot of uh, legislation and work to be done through local authorities, that code of practice to put it in place and I know that's why some of the local councillors I'm dealing with are in discussions with their local authorities to ensure that it's, as I say, it's up and running as quickly as possible and that's what we need to see now. We need to see, you know, we need to see, we, we can't continue uh, seeing our, our absolutely beautiful countryside and our destroyed. beautiful towns destroyed. Yeah. yeah and and ultimately, Mark, this will save the council's uh, money because I'm right in saying the council spend a lot of money every single year having to clean up, especially a lot of these, this fly tipping that goes on. You're absolutely 100% correct. The last figures we have, which probably are just a couple of years old now, is that local authorities are spending up to 100 million oh. uh, each year. 100 million. You could just imagine, Patricia, what we could use that money for, you know, playgrounds, etc. You know, instead of that, unfortunately, we're using uh, that money for cleaning up after those that are illegal dumping and fly tipping. So it's a huge amount of money uh, that's been spent by local authorities. It's your money, it's my money, it's taxpayers' money that should be going to, to you know, children's facilities, to youth facilities but instead it's going to cleaning up after people illegal dumping and it just has to stop. Do, I don't know if you know or, if you know or not are, are the penalties um, what, what are they like for people who are found guilty of well, illegal There's substantial penalties so that, you know, I'm aware of 3,000 fines, 10,000 fines and even more fines for substantial dumping um, so there, the penalties are there uh, as you said in your introduction it was just the fact that we just uh, local authorities were running into problems with GDPR which have now been sorted so now we hope that those penalties can be put in place and as I say we can save that, that money and put it to better use while at the same time cleaning up uh, our urban areas and indeed our rural areas. And also Mark people need to be careful about paying the man with the van who offers to take away your rubbish. People need to be very careful about that. Yeah it's, it's a serious issue. It's an issue I've dealt with here in my own area in Kildare for, for, for a good while uh, Tricia and I know it's not just in Kildare it's, it's, it's everywhere and you know vans going around uh, charging people for, for three and five uh, euros per bag to dump rubbish and that's just going out into the rural area in, in, most of the time but I, I was just on a local walk in the last two weeks and I found a washing machine just put oh. into, into the into the 
the hedge. And obviously we have a local depot there that can take that for free uh, under the recycling of, of electrical goods. So somebody just instead of bringing it to the depot, which is open five days a week, they decided to dump it on the local beauty spot. So that's what we need to, that's what we need to, 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 to guard against. That's what we need to get this prosecutions against because it just is ruining our beautiful countryside. Yeah, and what really annoys me about that, any of those large uh, white goods, they're free to return either to a civic community site or to any of the electrical shops. You don't even have to have bought the item there. And yet somebody will go to the bother. You know, you can't just pick up a washing machine, you know, and put it in your bag and walk out the road with it. They go to the bother of putting it into a vehicle and yet still go on and dump it in a scenic area. Yeah, that's that. You are one hundred percent correct. The civic meaning the areas uh, depots are, are absolutely brilliant right throughout the country, and you know it is free. Uh, but in this case, and, and I've you know you could go into other uh, examples of what's happening with, with white goods being dumped all over the place. Uh, that was just one incident within the last two weeks that I came across. But as I say, our our local reps on the ground in Cork and our our local councillors are, are coming across this, unfortunately, week in week out. And I've continued to get representations from them all in relation to how quickly we can get this up and running and now thankfully we can so it's back to the local authorities now to see how quickly this can be put in place Yeah and we often find here and, and, and I'm sure it's the same all over the country if an area gets known as well that's the place for dumping people then seem to take it upon themselves to dump more rubbish so what started out maybe as just a couple of bags very quickly can end up with 50 bags of rubbish it just attracts it. It just seems to be uh, an invite to people to actually encourage them to, to do more. Patricia, you are 100% correct again. You know, it... If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There are specific areas, and I know them, and I know you know them in your own area, that people have just uh, destroyed, for want of a better description, by continuing time after time, day after day, and night after night, dumping and increasing the number of bags. And, you know, great credit needs to go to the tidy towns and those that got out, some people on a daily basis picking up in their own area. But when you see tidy towns groups, and we are coming into spring cleaning month, collecting 500 and 600 bags and tons and tons of illegal rubbish, it just shows you the problem that we have in this country. So that's what we 
need to combat and that's what we need to combat quickly. And I'm always saying, Mark, where would we be without our Tidy Towns volunteers? Absolutely. And, you know, great credit goes to them and we need to mention them every time we're speaking about something like this because the hours that they put in benefit the rest of us and encourage this great green country that we have. And they have to be thanked every time we speak about this. Patricia, you are right. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, as I say, we come into uh, spring cleaning month. More and more groups will get involved and I, of course, would encourage them to get involved, you know, to clean up their area. And hopefully, you know, we see the, the amount of rubbish that they're collecting reduce and reduce by the use of CCTV cameras and getting the message out there that you could be prosecuted with fines of up to €10,000 if you uh, carry out illegal dumping. Yeah, somebody's making the point, uh, great to hear that these CCTVs are, are, are going to be installed. Uh, surely the fact that they'll be in an area, they'll act as a deterrent. They, and, they, they, and they will for sure. Absolutely, and that—that—the that, whole thing is the deterrent. We need to get the message out to people that, that, as you say, are engaging with the man in the van, or some people who actually go out and do it themselves. That there is a chance of you being caught, and a very good chance, and an increasing chance by the use of these cameras. That's the message that I want to get out there. So many people want to get out there. Community groups, tidy towns want to get out there. That you know, you just can't do this anymore. And that's the message that needs to be said every every time we're talking about, uh, you know, to highlight this every chance we get. Okay, and I suppose. Between, between this good news about the CCTV cameras and, and we've only this morning been again talking about the deposit and a return yeah. uh, scheme, they're all steps in the right direction to keep this country as beautiful as it is. It is. Like tourism still plays such an important part in the economy of this country. And, you know, sometimes when you travel the roads of Ireland and then go down rural boreens and into your lovely bogs and all that, you just wonder what, what we're doing to our own country and to the, tour, the whole tourism model that we're, we're trying to, to sell to the, to the world, uh, Patricia. So hopefully this will help it once and for all. It needs to be combated and we need to see an end to it. OK, listen, uh, thank you for that, Mark. And thanks thank for joining you. us on the programme. Good morning to you. Good that morning. is uh, Labour Senator Mark uh, Wall. So beware the circular economy. Uh, bill has now been passed which means uh, Cork County Council or, or any and City Council any councils around the country will be able to prosecute uh, people and they will be able to monitor particularly black spot areas for dumping they will be able to monitor them with CCTVs and the Green Party TD uh, Oshin Smith has now given the councils the legal basis to start using CCTVs and, and, and I know countless times when we talk about dumping in a particular area we will have people saying why why don't the council have a covert camera in there and catch the people that are doing it? And I think the more people that these cameras pick up and catch, the more prosecutions. I think, you know, we could, could we one day see a complete end to this type of dumping? It would be great. And just on the deposit and return scheme, somebody wants to point out that there are over 2,500 products that don't have the recycling logo. You know, this return, this R logo that's on when you're paying, when you're buying and paying your deposit, mo- not all, but most of the bottles and cans will have this have this R symbol on it, which means you've paid a deposit. Well, there are actually 2,500 products that don't have the recycling logo. Uh, they can still be re- recycled and they get recycled because of the barcode. The barcode picks up the information to say that you have paid either a 15 cent or a 25 cent deposit and actually you can go on the return dot ie website where they list the 2500 products now I just very quickly went on to it I can't find where the where the products are on it but what I did find which is rather clever there's a barcode uh, checker that you can put in the, if you've bought a drink and you're unsure if you paid a deposit or not you can actually enter the barcode 
that's on your bottle or uh, can and then press enter and it will tell you whether you've paid a deposit or not so you know whether that's one for returning uh, or not. But there are about 2,500 products that won't have the R on it. They're obviously ones that are produced uh, in other countries, I'm assuming. Uh, but I know there was an exemption given to some products. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Cork today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie. Can you talk to me? Court today on C103. Now, next Sunday, a very special football match will be held in Brinney, and it's to honour the memory of our beloved late GAA commentator, Paddy Palmer, who tragically died last year following a traffic collision. To chat about the senior football match between Valley Rovers and Temple No from Kerry, I'm joined by Alan Quirk of Valley Rovers and, of course, former Cork goalkeeper. And also on the line is Michael Crowley from Temple No in County Kerry. Good morning to gentlemen. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, you're welcome. Um, Alan, I'll start with you. Would Paddy have had a huge dilemma as to who to cheer for at next Sunday's match? (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'd say he used to get a a lot of slagging about who who he would support in Cork Kerry matches. I I don't know if he was ever asked the question um, who he'd support when Valley Rovers faced Temple. No, it it never happened over the years, but uh, um, I'm sure he would have come up with a, a diplomatic answer as only Paddy uh, had the ability to do, you know. And and Michael, you knew Paddy uh, growing up, um, so and he played for 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 Temple No, didn't he? Yeah, I probably knew Paddy better as, as a colleague, as a teaching colleague, than I did as um as a young lad. He would have been a bit older than myself. He would have played underage for Temple No, and um, he would have played. I suppose his his first few years out of college, he would have played with Temple No. And I suppose they parted ways, then he went off teaching and so forth. Uh, but he always had, uh, as I said, I was a colleague of his, and every Monday morning, because how was simple to go and what was happening and how the players are. And later on in the time, he had um, nephews playing with Temple No. How were they playing? How were they getting on? Yeah, he always had a great interest in Temple No. Yeah, yeah. And he used to t- tell us he was a great player. He could have made the Kerry team. He often he often spoke about well, that. What, what was his one? He, he played with he played with Principal Anne, and between them they had eight All Ireland medals. But that's his shame <laughs> to think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Alan, remind us of Paddy's connection with Valley Rovers. It was his adopted club. Yeah, I suppose. Look, he he came to the parish as, as a young man in the kind of late seventies or early eighties, and. Um, he immediately got involved in coaching Gaelic football teams and so, uh, adult clubs, adult teams mainly at, at the beginning and they had a lot of success themselves in Deeds and Sturl and a few others um, got a junior football team winning um, a lot in, in the early 80s and unfortunately they, they lost a couple of county finals in, in the mid 80s and um, after that then he kind of took up some underage coaching roles which is how I met Paddy first as a, as a 13 year old on Valley Rovers so I think what everybody probably agrees with who who worked with Paddy as as a player was that he just brought, you know, a kind of an infectious enthusiasm to the game. There was always good fun at training, which is why fellas 
kept returning to training, whether they were good, bad or indifferent as players. And look, Paddy treated everybody the same, whether you were the star player or whether you were number 20 on the squad. So I think that that was a great sign of a coach. Yeah, and Alan, he had a unique talent for engaging with young people, didn't he? Yeah, look, I've been at a couple of events in the last 12 months, unfortunately, to, to commemorate the man. And look, be it Brogan's or be it, you know, the band in opinion or, or you know, C103, everybody kind of has their own memories of party, but it's always positive. Like, and he just had a, a way of bringing people together and, you know, a way of, of getting people to do stuff with him and for him. And, you know, was was part of lots of successful events, you know, awards nights or charity events and I suppose everybody remembers the fun that they had with Paddy and, and that's the big thing and he left a great legacy in that sense. Yeah, I, I used to just love spending time with uh, with Paddy because you never left without a smile on your on your face and there was always belly laughs. You could always spot where Paddy was in a room because there would be a peal of uh, laughter. And Michael, as you say, you worked with him as a, uh, a teacher. I, I always, I always, he must have been an, an exceptional teacher because of that connection that he had with young people? Yeah, I suppose I remember most of well, being a teacher, of course, but um, I suppose you're inside your room, in your own room when you're teaching. Uh, my my link with Paddy really was, was coaching with, um, with St. Brogan for, for many years, and uh, as Alan says there, his his way with the kids was phenomenal. You know? uh, he had a background to every one of them, something that's very happy, and his, the way he got on with the, the kids... Uh, you know, when you're involved with football, sometimes you have to make the hard calls and you know drop them or not pick them and so forth. But none of them kind of held that against party. He had this way of just persuading fellas to get involved and stay involved. And sometimes, you know, uh, was not really for the football's sake, but for their own sake. Um, yeah, he was outstanding in that regard. Uh, as regards the teacher, <laughs> you have to ask your students. Yeah. <laughs> well respected all around, but you know, as, as a teacher and a colleague, uh, you don't know these things. Yeah. Uh, once, you, once you're inside the door, you have to talk to uh, some, some of the people that went through his hands as students as to what it was like as a teacher. But I have no, no doubt that the, uh, the fun inside that classroom was, 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 was great. It was great. Because Alan, like, you know, obviously he was, you know, as a coach, he was fantastic, but uh, he was great and, and a great mentor, but he was great to steer people in the, in the right direction. I mean, if he saw somebody going off the rails uh, or was going on the wrong path in life, he was great to pull them back, wasn't he? Yeah, and look, I think somebody described him as a very good listener as well, that, you know, people felt comfortable sharing maybe some of their challenges that they were having at, at a given time, whether it was, you know, whether you were a junior search student or a leading search student or maybe a college student, you kind of felt comfortable talking to body about stuff. And um, he'd, he'd always, you know, have your best interests at heart and even... You know, we, we occasionally have reunions with, with a successful minor team we had in the club and people always say that, look, I remember one fellow saying in particular, he kind of fell in with the wrong crowd, as they say, when he was around 16 or 17 and Paddy pulled him aside one night at training and said, look, you wanted to go out on to Kinsale with one of the, your own lads from Inishannon and he'll, he'll never forget him for it. He said it just was a small intervention, but it, it kind of had a big influence on his life afterwards. So, yeah, yeah he, he could see people maybe who are struggling and he went about it in his own way, you know. Yeah, I've heard that from more people uh, over the years, uh, but particularly since we've lost uh, we've lost him. Um, and I think that that tribute that they've done in Brogan's, the, the, the memory of our friend Paddy Palmer, it's over the science building, isn't it? Yeah, yeah the, um, 
sorry, Michael, go on there. Yeah, sorry, Michael. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Alan and myself were at that um, unveiling. Yeah, it's a tribute to Paddy and how, how the school held him in such high regards. You know, it's it's it's, um, it's there. For, it's going to be there forever more yeah, now. It's uh, fabulous. Unfortunately, some people won't won't remember Paddy, but um, yeah, yeah, his his legacy is going to hold there for many years to come. Yeah. Okay, so uh, who wants to tell me about um, Sunday, um, Alan? It's it's a friendly but a competitive uh, match. Yeah, I don't know if there ever be a friendly match between uh, a Curry side, <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, look, it's a memorial game, and I suppose both teams are kind of at their start of their seasons, really. So, um, in that sense, it's a kind of a warmer upper. But um, look, the the match itself is just a senior football game at, at two o'clock between Temple North seniors and ourselves. Um, and again, we're just hoping it will be a good competitive game of football and. Um, well, I suppose we, we've produced a, a trophy for the winners afterwards, and um, you know we're we're hoping possibly that w- it will become an annual thing that we might travel down to Temple Noah next year. Ah, that'd uh, be great. To continue with chess. So that that's the plan. Look, we, we, we'll get Sunday out of the way first, I suppose, and, and hopefully um, the weather will will be kind to us, and and we'll we'll see how it goes. And there's a fundraising aspect to it as well, isn't there? I know you're not charging into the match. No, I suppose, and we were keen on that. This is very much to commemorate Paddy. It's not really about raising money, but um, Edward Newman, there, one of one of my colleagues in Valleys, has produced a very good program um, for the game with a lot of inputs, including from from Michael there from Temple Law. And um, I suppose rather than just giving the programs out for free, we said we just put a five euro charge in them, and any prof- profits we'll make will go to the Dunanway Day Unit and CUH who looked after Paddy there during his. Um, his recovery from cancer um, just before he died, in fact. So, um, yeah, it, 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 there's, there's not a huge focus on raising money, but okay. whatever money we, we raise on the day would certainly be going that direction. OK, and uh, both teams match fit. Michael, are you all ready for road? Yeah, you know, it would be, um, be an occasion for the Temple No Boys, in fairness. We, we don't travel across the border too much. <laughs> they don't know what, they, um, what they're coming up against, I think. Um, yeah, as Alan said, you're to the start of the year... Uh, not an awful lot of conditioning has been done. Um, look, uh, and unfortunately for Temple or, or fortunately, whichever the case may be, we've um, we've three carry seniors, or they're not allowed to play. But look, um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. As I said, a wake up call for some of our guys, I think. Okay, <laughs> and and Alan, <laughs> you, Alan Valley Rovers are match fish and ready. Ready to go, yeah, and I'm, I'm laughing at, at the Kerry men playing down their chances. Um, <laughs> That's nothing. Our, if we're down to Japan, we, we play down a bit more. <laughs> we play down a bit more. That's nothing so new. I, I think, uh, look, there's a lot of our lads. I think we'll have about 30 young lads talking out and Temple Nola some, somewhere close. And it's look, it's more of a footballing occasion. And, and you know, um, the, 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 the club of Valley Rovers, I suppose, in general, you know, the Camogie Club, the Ladies Football Club party was good to all of those. Um, people as well so I think hopefully people will just come together and, yeah. and on the sideline share stories of their times with party and um, that's that's what it's for really okay. you know just to get people together Well we wish both teams uh, the best of luck and it's it's a wonderful wonderful occasion and I would I love the idea that you're hoping to make it uh, an annual event um, we will never ever forget uh, our beloved party that's for sure Listen Alan and Michael thank you both for taking time out to talk to us today we really appreciate it
Thanks, Patricia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alan Quirk of Valley Rovers and Michael Crowley of uh, Temple No. 2 o'clock in Brinney on Sunday. If you'd like to go uh, along, you're more than welcome. It's time to give away more free money. Free money. Snap the app. Only on C103. Give me well, we need to get another qualifier to go forward to a draw to win some money. Where are we going? Let's try Castletown Roach and Denise O'Mahony. Good afternoon, Denise. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you today? Good, thank you. How's everyone in Castletown Roach? All well, yeah. Are you busy? What are you up to today? Yeah, I'm just in between work. Oh, are you? A break, yeah. Okay, so you could do with 500 euro, could you? That's it, yeah. Well, I can That's tell you, nice. you are... Our qualifier. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Okay, so keep the phone on because I'll put your name forward to a draw with Martina this afternoon. She could be calling you back and you'll be 500 euro, which would be a nice way uh, to kick off as we head into a weekend tomorrow, wouldn't it? Thanks. That would be great. Okay, well done. Congratulations. Thanks for the call. That is uh, Denise O'Mahony from Castletown Road. She downloaded the C103 app. She snapped a screenshot and sent it in to us in the last 10-15 minutes. We'll do it all over again this afternoon with Nick and then Martina does it again. Actually, Martina, the person who qualified with Martina yesterday, uh, Jackie Carroll, he qualified with Martina and then his name went back into the hat and his name came out and he was our winner of €500 yesterday. So snap the app, download the C103 app if you haven't already done it, take a screenshot and then wait. You've got to wait. Don't enter until we tell you when and then you enter and you could be in with it chance of qualifying and ultimately could win 500 euro worth of free money snap the app download today and listen to play all week long only on c103 0818 a reminder that we don't have jane pickett our resident vet this week she's unfortunately succumbed to one of those really bad throats and coughs that's doing the rounds at the moment there just seems to be so many viruses out and about at the moment so she's just would not be able to do the slot but please god she'll be better and we We've ordered her to take loads of honey and lemon and hot drinks, etc. And that she'll be back with us uh, next week. So no pet questions this week. We'll go back to them next uh, Thursday. 0818 103 103. Remember Sheila had contacted us earlier because she was wondering was it just her or had anybody else had a reaction to the new pot noodle ad? Now I've put my hand up and said I haven't seen this new pot noodle ad yet but according to Sheila it depicts a woman slurping up the whole pot in one go and she makes and the noise is absolutely terrible according to Sheila so much so that it turns Sheila's stomach and she described it as gross well somebody's been on to say you can tell Sheila everyone in our household totally agrees with her to the point there's a rush for the remote control to change the TV channel whenever that pot noodle ad comes on my daughter actually says it's put her off pot noodles for life. I wonder if anybody contacted pot noodles to them that the idea of the ad to encourage people to eat them is actually having the very opposite effect. I can't wait now to try and see that pot noodle ad. 0818 103 103. Alyssa says, Trish, any idea where in the North Cork area can I recycle a bunk bed and mattresses, please? Uh, the charity shop uh, that I approached won't uh, take them. OK, um, I, if you're in North Cork, any of the 
civic immunity sites, I imagine, will take a mattress and a bunk bed. I would suggest contacting, I don't know where in North Cork you are, there are a number of civic immunity sites. The one, the one that I would use, the one closest to me is the one outside of Mallow. I would suggest that you get onto the civic immunity sites. Has anybody recycled a bunk bed and uh, a mattress? And the Aurora Charity uh, Shop, uh, that's that wonderful charity uh, shop in Mallow, uh, they have a big furniture uh, store. I wonder what charity shop, not all charity shops would have the wherewithal or the space to take a bunk bed. You could just have hit on the wrong charity shop. I, I don't know if Aurora charity shop, because they do furniture and they have a huge, big um, furniture shop. I don't know whether they take bunk beds. The mattress might be a problem. I don't know if everybody would want to buy a second-hand mattress, but, you know, uh, m- maybe people do. Anyway, can anybody offer advice? But I certainly would say recycling centre, failing if you can't, ideally get it into a charity shop. If anyone can offer advice, have you recycled a bed lately or recently in particular a bunk bed with with coming with the two mattresses I take it 0818 103 103 we were talking uh, of course the last thing this listener wants to do they want to recycle it responsibly they don't want to get involved in any kind of dumping going on and we were talking about dumping on the programme earlier and now we know the CCTV cameras the law came in in 2022 but then there was a query around privacy laws and could the councils record people and try to catch people in the act of flight tipping and now since last week the Minister has moved on that and they've sorted out all of the legal difficulties and, and councils now all over the country. They'll be able to put up drones and keep an eye on areas with drone footage. They'll be able to put up CCTV cameras and I think CCTV cameras, particularly in beauty spots, that are known spots for dumping, I think that's going to be the big winner there because who's well, you would like to think nobody's going to dump when they spot a CCTV camera. Somebody says, Patricia, when the CCTV cameras are put in place, will there be a sign saying they are in operation? Because if so, people will just dump their rubbish somewhere else. They'll go to a place with no CCTV. A lot of people simply have no respect for anyone else or respect for their uh, community. I'm assuming that the fixed CCTV cameras, yes, will have signs up. But I'm assuming that what the council will do is they'll do, you know, covert, they'll hide some of these cameras or they'll start putting drones uh, up at certain times of the day to try and catch uh, people. So I assume that some, particularly in the beauty spots, they need to put up the signs saying the CCTV cameras because that definitely will act as a deterrent and will stop uh, people. And hopefully if there's a fear that you're going to get caught on a covert camera, it might stop people actually dumping. Hi Patricia, I live in a rural area uh, in the Milford area and the rubbish that was thrown out uh, the rubbish that is thrown out at night is a disgrace. I've actually given up cleaning because when I clean it up, it's the very same the next day. Who's doing that? I mean, if it's all in the one area, I mean, that's an area now where you should get onto the council and say there's so much rubbish being dumped and maybe they will put a camera in there to deter people from dumping. But just absolutely shocking. Hi, Patricia. I caught the end of your segment earlier on mastectomies and bras. My sister, unfortunately, was diagnosed with breast cancer that had spread to one lymph node. She also, like many of the other women, had to have a mastectomy and is having radiotherapy. She lives abroad and the care she has been receiving 
weaving is exceptional and is so efficient. After the mastectomy, they fitted a temporary implant. So her breasts are still normal looking in size. She just has the scars. She's now six months post radiotherapy and if all is clear, she'll be called back and fitted with a full implant. There's no leaving you flat with scars, which to me is totally unacceptable. So she will never need prosthetic bras or a prosthetic swimming suit. They leave you as best they can the way you went in. Not a lovely way of putting it. We need that here. You should be... You, you shouldn't be left with an amputation when it can be uh, remedied, thanking you. Well, they do breast reconstruction in this uh, country. Actually, if you go onto the Irish Cancer Society's website, they have a really good piece for anyone who gets diagnosed with breast cancer and they go through all of the different uh, options. And breast reconstruction is an option. Now, It obviously, it isn't, they say on it, it isn't for everyone and it, it's not suitable for everyone, but they, you know, they make the point that because everyone is different, uh, you need to talk to your surgeon in advance of the options and what is the best for you but yes they, they absolutely do best reconstruction surgery because I heard some of the women who were talking out yesterday about these cuts in the allowance some of them were saying that they had reconstructive uh, surgery and actually some of them even with reconstructive surgery still needed a special kind of uh, a bra but it is I don't know if it's offered to everyone I don't know how that actually works but good to hear that your sister is so well, been so well looked after and sent on our best wishes to her to make a full recovery. 0818103103. A news that has just broken this morning out of RTE. They yeah, remember when Kevin Backers last was the last week that we before was in before the Oireachtas Media Committee, and he was asked would he give a full list of all of the exit packages of all of the former members of the executive at RTE who departed to since 2016. They wanted to know how much were their exit package and he said he'd have to go away and seek legal advice. Well, RTE have just come out this morning to say that the legal uh, advice um, they've been told that they can't release the figures. It would contravene employees' contractual and statutory uh, rights. So what Kevin Backhurst, the now Director General, has done, he's informed the Minister for Media, Catherine uh, Martin, and he said that RTE has now written to former members of the executive who departed since 2016 requesting that they consent to waiver their rights to confidentiality. So we're now going to have to wait to see how many of those former workers will decide that, yes, we are willing for you to tell the Oireachtas Committee and obviously tell everybody else uh, how much uh, they got. Um, It seems the advice that has come, the legal advice that they have received from their lawyers is that exit payments for former executives have been found uh, to... We know that they exist in private, public and commercial uh, uh, semi-state bodies, but the legal advice is any employee who departed RTE on foot of a directly negotiated settlement did so on the basis that the terms of such agreement would remain confidential as between the parties. So even though the politicians are requesting for transparency, the broadcaster was advised to exercise extreme caution, having regard for the civil and criminal consequences attached to this uh, disclosure. Of course, because the one thing you don't need is for... Kevin Backhurst to start revealing all of the exit packages and then to discover 
that they are before the courts and it would ultimately then end up costing RTE even more. So we wait now to see all of those that left RTE since 2016 receiving a letter from Kevin Backhurst to say, will you waive your right to confidentiality? Would you like to put a bet on how many of them will say waiver the right and go public on how much I received? I'm assuming there will be little or none, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. 0818103103. On the bunk bed issue, somebody wants to recycle a bunk bed and mattresses. Patricia, bunk beds and Aurora, the charity shop that has a big furniture shop, they don't have room for bunk beds as it's... uh, um, it's um, understandable they took up a lot of uh, space. They maybe could donate it to somebody else who wants it. Yeah, you actually didn't think of that. You could go on something like in the Mallow Act of Kindness uh, page and there's a number of those Act of Kindness pages wherever that listener is in North Cork and you could put up photographs of the bunk beds and pass them on to somebody who might need bunk beds at the moment. They might have uh, children that require bunk beds. So yeah, you could do it that way uh, as well. I think the very end, if you can, if nobody wants them from you, then I think your civic immunity site is the best place. 081810 03103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit, and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Donnerail Drama Society. They're performing the Angry Jurors in Donnerail Convent Theatre. It opens tonight and it runs nightly, Thursday to Sunday, 8 o'clock, and they'll do that over this weekend and the following weekend. Booking is essential for tickets. Call 089. 4885415. A trip down memory lane with music by Percy French and lots more will be held in the Candy Theatre. That's in the North Mon. That's on tonight. And then they'll be in Rathcormac Community Hall tomorrow night. Everyone's welcome. Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lotto draw is on this afternoon, four o'clock in the local community office with a jackpot of €12,500. And a preview night for Cheltenham will be held in the courtyard at the Arches in Mallow starting at 8 o'clock tonight. Tickets are €20 and proceeds are in aid of the wonderful Mallow Search and Rescue and the Ronald MacDonald House. And Mallow Daffodil Day Committee are holding a fundraising coffee morning in aid of the Irish Cancer Society tomorrow morning between 10am and 12. It's in Hurley Centre on Main Street. You're invited to come along, enjoy coffee, scones, chat and entertainment. And Excel is a part-time female entrepreneurship programme dedicated to providing women with support in exploring and developing their business ideas. The programme commences on the 8th, 9th of March. The final date for receipt of applications, though, is tomorrow, Friday. For more information, check out their website, which is rubiconcentre.com. Court Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. 
Cork Today on C103. And just on the RTE and the legal advice now that Kevin Backers has been, has been given that he can't because of confidentiality uh, rules in the exit package. He can't announce how much each person got since they left RTE in 2016, but he's written and asked them themselves uh, to um, give up their confidentiality and then allow RTE to uh, publish it. Anthony says, is it actually lawful not to allow the disclosure of a package that is involved when, when it comes to it, it was involved with taxpayers' money? If so, can anyone whose wage involves taxpayers' money also use this same ploy, says Anthony? Well, you see, I think the problem with the exit package packages to date in RTE was they signed an agreement on both the person who was leaving and the executives and the management of RTE, they signed a confidentiality clause saying that they would never reveal the figure. And that's the problem that we have with the former exit packages. I know what's been asked now, Catherine Martin has asked going forward that Kevin Backhurst and the rest of the RTE management try not to include an exit package. She hasn't told them they mustn't include an exit, uh, a confidentiality clause, but she's asking them to try not to include a confidentiality clause in future exit packages and only time will tell whether that will be picked up or not. Now, thank you for your text to 0862103103 and let me go back to a text that came in I think it was my first text in this morning from John, the truck driver in Inchigila. And the reason I was holding off on it, we were trying to get as much information as we could before I read out the text. Anyway, John contacted us this morning saying, I'm hoping you can help with ongoing communication that I'm having between Cork County Council and I've also contacted the local councillor in Dunmanway Declan Hurley since last August. It's to do with trees falling onto the road and dangerously overgrown hedges from Toker Cross to Inchigila, especially the narrow road up Money Lee, which I have to travel on a daily basis because of my truck business. I've highlighted this at the beginning of the hedge cutting season and to date most landlords haven't taken any action. Could you please get on to Cork County Council and to get these verges to a safe distance back while the hedge cutting season is still open. This will be in the interest of public safety and I appreciate your time. So we make contact with Councillor Declan Hurley seeing he was, he was mentioned in that text and uh, he joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Declan. Good afternoon, Patricia. Um, now, you're obviously well aware of the exact road that uh, Jack, our truck driver, is talking about. I am because uh, John has been raising this issue with uh, the last five months and just I think at the time when John raised this initially I happened to to travel that road um, uh, one of the days and I had commented myself on how bad and how dangerous that stretch of road was so it was just a coincidence that I had made contact with the area engineer in in relation to the condition of the overgrown trees and hedgerows and um, in light of coming on with you here uh, this afternoon I had made contact with the area engineer this morning and to the best of my knowledge and her knowledge that a lot of the hedgerows in that general area have been addressed uh, this year because she did write out to the landowners uh, and I have um, proof and copy that um, those letters were issued. The the only problem is, is that most people um, adhere to the notices when they come up, but not not everybody. So I'm I'm this, this morning or this afternoon, as I talk to you, the information I've got is that most of the roads up there, and in particular the Money Lay Road that John points out, has been addressed. But there may be one or two sections that still might be um, in in a dangerous condition. And when a letter goes out to the landowners, do, by law, do they have to adhere to those notices? Do they have to act? 
Well, I, I have a copy of one in front of me now, Patricia, and it says you are hereby required within 30 days of this notice to carry out the following works. Whatever works are needed to be carried out, they're identified in black, bold writing. And in the bottom of the letter, it says, if you fail to comply with such a notice, Cork County Council may commence legal proceedings against you in the district court. So it's, it's very clear cut and very straightforward what the, your obligations are when you get this notice and the timeline involved in which you must carry out the works. And do most landowners react as quickly as possible? Most do. And I, I did ask the engineer this morning what kind of rate of um, activity does she get? And she said most. Um, and she, she's happy with the response she gets. She said, yes, they are uh, one or two that may not. But over time, she gets around to it. But she said, in, in general terms, most landowners do adhere to the notice when it is sent out. But, but what happens if a landowner just does a very light trim and it, you know, it, it isn't done as, as it's not cut back as, as, as much as it should be to make it safe for people travelling. And, and, th- and that does happen. And unfortunately, from September to the end of February, it, it is a, a short window. And obviously, to get access to, to lands uh, during those months, the, the ground can be very wet. So it's not the best time of the year to actually go and, and get a, a proper job done. But the, the point you raise is that you, you are really at the discretion of the landowner or the contractor who's contracted in to do the work for the landowner, uh, how good or neat a job they do. Um, the one thing that would happen is that if it wasn't done to requirements, uh, Car County Council would step in and they would carry out the, um, the work themselves and then build the, uh, build the landowner. But then they are, you're setting a precedent that the Car County Council doesn't want to go down. But in, in the case of health and safety and the safety of road users, they, they would do that if the work wasn't carried out at standard. Do you issue many of those letters? Does the council issue many of those letters every year? It, it varies from, from year to year, but I think uh, in, the, in the last number, I suppose the last two winters, shall we say, there's been, I suppose, in my local area, there's been both maybe 50 of those letters issued. Um, and again, Cork County Council does try to work with landowners. Like if when one notice is sent out, they're given the 30 days to, to work. If the 30 days pass by and no work is, is has been carried out, another letter is issued. And in some cases, three and four and five oh. notices have been issued to landowners, but eventually the work gets done. Um, but most people are compliant with the notice when they do get it. OK, so we are. So you you're led to believe that the work has been done. Well, I spoke to the engineer this morning. I particularly mentioned the, um, the Toher area, Toher Bantry Line, Toher Cross and the Money Lay Road. And she said she had written out to landowners in that general area. To the best of her knowledge, most of them had complied with the notice, but she was aware of a few sections on some of those roads that hadn't been addressed. Again, obviously, some of the notices mightn't have haven't been um, acted on. And the other issue sometimes, Patricia, is that if you have um, maybe sections of land or road that sometimes is not accessible um, and it kind of, it's kind of, I'd say, no man's land where nobody takes responsibility for it. And sometimes those are the sections that get forgotten about and get um, ignored. And therefore, you have situations like John is describing to you on, when he's using the road on a daily basis. OK, can, can will the council send somebody out to check? Yes, the engineer is going to dispatch um, an outdoor staff member today and, and again drive that area and see what um, areas are, are left outstanding because unfortunately next week we are approaching the, the, the end of the cutting season again. Nesting, um, nesting like, season is coming and you won't be able to cut. It, 
No, and I think that the, the Wildlife Act, um, I think the law is there for to, to protect wildlife, hedgerows and, and trees. But in fact, there is no law, law there to protect the road user. Mm. And that's the issue I have with this whole um, issue. Like there's the obligation, responsibility is on the landowner. But it's, when, when, when the landowner is prosecuted, he's prosecuted for cutting the hedgerows or the overhanging trees in the closed period. This doesn't apply in the open period. So I think it, it's kind of cart before the horse in addressing the issue. Um, and I would I would be looking to amend the 1993 Roads Act and I suppose put the onus back on the local authority um, to cut the, um, the hedgerows. And therefore you have um, um, a better system that where annual cutting takes place. But then that's down to funding. We need more funding from the government to do that. Um, but it's it's a kind of it's a situation whereby you're depending on the goodwill of the landowner to comply with Cork County Council when a land when a notice is sent out um, for overgrown hedges or overhanging trees. OK, somebody sent me in a picture from that uh, Money Lee Road uh, today. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's got grass growing up in the middle of the road. So it's 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 a very, very rural area. And they're deaf. There's there's one tree and it's actually hanging, hanging down onto the road. Mm. The definitely work needs to be done there. And this this is a different listener. This isn't John or the truck driver. This is somebody else saying it's especially dangerous towards uh, evening time. And they've sent on five or six pictures saying this is just uh, a sample along that road. And that was from yesterday evening. So there's definitely mm. work needs to be done there, Declan. And the, the problem is, Patricia, that's probably maybe a tertiary road and those roads, unfortunately, don't get the level of attention they need. The, the regional roads, the local roads do because there's more traffic travelling on them on a daily basis. The smaller tertiary roads um, are, again, there there are a lot of them out there in bad conditions and unfortunately they don't get the level of attention they need. So I, I will look. I will. But uh, the landowner, the, the landowner does have a responsibility, though, you're saying? Hazard, yes. Even hazard on a tertiary road? All, no matter what, yeah, it has, okay. regional, local or tertiary, they have a responsibility. Uh, but unfortunately, when it comes to enforcing that with Cork County Council, they, they may not be as um, quick to send out a notice on, for one of those roads um, as opposed to a regional okay. or a local All road. All right. And just very finally, somebody says hedge cutting can be very expensive. What if the landowner genuinely can't afford to cut the hedges? Well, we, we have a scheme in the West Cork Municipal District where you couldn't apply for hedge uh, fund to cut it. So if a number of landowners come together, they can apply to the West Cork Municipal District for funding to help in, in, in that situation. We have, we set aside €20,000 every year for that purpose and it, it gets used up every year. Um, but you want to be in early at the opening of the cutting season to get it. But there is a fund there to help out uh, anybody that has uh, financial concerns or issues with um, getting roads Okay. And a very final one in from Anna to say, could you please ask Councillor Declan Hurley, uh, does he think landowners who get their hedgerows cut over the winter months, that period where the cutting season is open and the debris is left to fill up the dikes and drains, does he think the landowners have a responsibility to clear the dikes after cutting the hedges? Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, if, if I'm a landowner myself and I do cut the hedgerows on an annual basis and it, it is part of the whole exercise, it's very important that the waterways um, and drains don't get blocked by cutting um, from the debris that falls on the roads. Because, again, if you block waterways and drains, you're going to lead to another problem, road flooding, damage to the road surface. So not alone is it important to cut the hedgerows and overhanging trees but it's also important to clean up any debris on the road afterwards that's my own understanding Okay Alright Declan get back to us on that but thank you for that and thanks for joining us Thanks Patricia Good morning to you that is uh, Don Manway Councillor Declan Hurley on RTE 
and the legal advice that they've received. Ginny says, hi Patricia, there should be absolutely no confidentiality agreement when personnel are being paid by us the taxpayer. We should all know exactly how much they get by way of an exit package. 0818 103 103. Lines open. Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. C103. Now to finish the programme uh, today, we've been contacted by Jack, who has sent us an email to share what he describes as a wide Wild, funny and at times unbelievable saga that unfolded for people who got on the Dublin-Houston to Killarney train which travels via Mala and it happened yesterday and Jack uh, joins me. Good morning or good afternoon to you Jack. Good morning Patricia. Now this is afternoon. this is normally a three hour journey is it? That's correct yes so it's, the, it's the usual Dublin to Kent service to Cork you know and it uh, but I I, I I'm from Clannacilty, but I'm living now in Carrasavine, so I now change in Mallow, and I go to Clarny, and I drive home from there. Okay, so you got you got on the train at five o'clock yesterday. Uh, got on the train yesterday at seven o'clock. Seven, sorry, seven o'clock service, and you know that's still a long trip to Carrasavine. I'd forecasted that I'd get home to Carrasavine and be in bed by about midnight by the time I'd, I'd done the drive, but what happened next was wild, you know. So, if um, basically. At about an hour after we got on the train, so just before eight, our train came to a standstill and we were told we were about three kilometres outside of Port Arlington station. So in the middle of nowhere, like in the countryside, no platforms or anything in sight. And we, the, our driver didn't seem to know what was going on. And he was kind of saying, look, I'm not sure what this delay is. We should be moving again shortly. But slowly, as the minutes turned into hours, he was sharing us details as he received them. So the train had broken down and... Uh, they said it's no problem. We're just going to get another locomotive from Dublin. It'll come down, pull us out, pull pull us down the road, and we'll be on our way again. But then he came back over the radio about half an hour later, saying, "Oh, there's actually no drivers in Dublin, so we can't actually get a locomotive to come down to to get you." So anyway, this went on and on, and they kept coming over with little ideas of solutions that they were formulating to get us um, on our way. But so after about two hours of a delay sitting on the train, what happened was they said, right, here's what's going to happen. There's a Galway train coming behind you. It's a bit smaller. We won't all get seats. But what we're going to do is we're going to pull it up alongside our train. And then everyone's like, OK, but we're, there's no platforms. And they said, no, it's fine. We're going to use ramp sleds. And basically what happened was they got the ramps that they'd use for, say, a wheelchair user or if you had a buggy to get you up onto the train. Yeah. And they laid them between the two trains and ushered everybody across these planks from carriage to carriage. And I must say, it was really well organised. Fair play to the Irish Rail staff. Like, this was, at the end of the day, a minor inconvenience. But it was just so interesting to see, you know, the, the solutions that were unfolded. So about 400 people that were whatever it was on our train were sent up through the train, crossed the plank into this other train, and we were standing until we got into Port Harlington Station. But... You know, that, that we thought that was the end of the saga. And about two hours later, still in Port Arlington. And if you've ever been to Port Arlington, there's nothing there. It's, <laughs> there's not even a waiting room. Yeah, poor old Port Arlington, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was lashing rain. It was freezing cold. Now, what time, what, time is it, what time is it now? We're at midnight now. Midnight now. OK, when you should have been safely home in bed. Exactly, in South Kerry. And I was in Port Arlington in the rain on the platform with this other 400 people. And like... What I'd say is there was the most amazing sense of we're in this together. It's kind of gas. This is really unfortunate, but what can we do? Like there was really, really good spirits. 
um, amongst everybody. And like there was a woman with diabetes who couldn't get Coca-Cola or any sweets or sugar because she was, you know, um, her blood sugars were running low. And we had to call the emergency services because in Port Harrington Station, there's not even so much as a vending machine. There's not a water refill station. You know, there's, it's really poorly equipped for, for this kind of a scenario. Um, and, you know, just I was talking to some of the other um, passengers then later on. And the big thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, it was a minor inconvenience, you know, in, in our lives that are so convenience free. Um, but just that, you know, it's really important now that Irish Rail look at, you know, their scenario planning to think, well, if this happens again, like, you know, there was no water at the station, there was no food, you know, people were really kind of stranded. Um, and they and couldn't, told, oh, I the mean, was, the, the- was there any way they could have gone and, OK, they, they, they can't suddenly produce a, a, a cafe for you. But could they not, not gone to a local business and, you know, bought in some teas and coffees and some sandwiches and, you know, some pink snacks? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know the pink or even maybe the purple snack, you know, if we're going top tier. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they they were, uh, that, that would have been incredible. And I think obviously, you know, we were told in Port Arlington, the next train is right behind us. It'll collect you just, you know, it'll just hang on. It's going to be right here. But like, we were two hours in the rain. Everyone huddled under like any small place where you could get shelter from the rain. And that's when the sing song broke out. A sing song? Um, you know, you did. Yeah, people were in good spirits. The old triangle was the first song out of the bag and uh, it kept going for a while, you know. And, and, and it was really good. And like, look, you know, obviously um, people were delayed and people were late. But, um, you know, I think we're just lucky that any elderly people there, like a lot of the elderly people got very, very cold. You know, people were mm. cold, people were wet. Um, the, the Irish Rail did bring on extra water and things like that in Port Leash, which was the next station once we got on our way. Okay. But, you know, people had been out four hours delayed in the rain at that stage. So, you know, um, it was it was just it was a wild, wild one. So I got into I got into Killarney in the end at about three o'clock in the morning. And then had to get in the van and do the hour and 20 minutes down to Cahar Saibin. So it was a it was a really wild adventure, you know. It was, 10 hour, it was 10 hours from start to finish. But when, but when a train did finally arrive and, and, yeah. and, and you got on, did that then take you straight? So what happened was when we left Port Arlington, we, that was finally we had no more changes. So I got off in Mallow. Okay. And they actually were told us that there was a bus connection to Killarney. But when we arrived in Mallow, it, we'd, um, they'd actually uh, held the other train. Oh, so great. there was a train waiting for us in Mallow at two o'clock in the morning, okay. which was great to see. <laughs> and can, you know? and can we, when, when, you, when you got back on the train at Port Arlington, was there a trolley on that train? Were you able to get teas and coffees? Do you know what? It was actually, yeah, it was great. There was no trolley, but um, there was a, you know, there was the cafe carriage. And they weren't charging for anything. I mean, they didn't they didn't advertise over the, the loudspeaker that there was a cafe on board and they didn't advertise that there was tea for anyone who wanted it. It just spread down through the carriages by word of mouth that, hey, they're not charging for tea, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and that's how I found out. So I went up and got tea for myself. And to get, woman sitting across from me. So we and sat you, there. Did you get anything else tea. with it? Did you get anything with it? Yeah, yeah, to tea in the KitKat. Tea in the KitKat. So, so, you know, so somebody's... They had, danishes, they had muffins, they had soup, I heard somebody order. Great. So, you know, at least once we got on, there was something. But I think just so many people were so starving and so thirsty and so tired by the time that came, you know. Yeah, and I imagine people were, were phones were phones charged and that. Because people, will, you know, if someone was being collected at a train station, you were trying to ring to say, I'm stuck in Port Arlington. Yeah, that's the problem, actually. So there was a lot of people whose phones had died because obviously you can charge your phone on the train. But because we were the hours waiting in Port Arlington, 
people who had low battery, their phones had died. People were worried. And as well, you had people waiting, like people in Cork who were waiting to collect people. So imagine you came up from West Cork. Like often if I was going home, one of my parents might come up from West Cork yeah, and collect me yeah, off the train. Yeah. You know? And sure, if they'd driven up the road from Clonakilty, you know, 45 minutes and then they were waiting an hour late and they'd go back down only to come back up. And there was no way of telling when we'd get there because every time we were told it would be half an hour, it turned into a two hour wait, you know. But you were so, looked at, you, they, they did their best to look after you, but they need to sort of put a plan in place. And all these kind of things don't happen that often, but when they do happen, particularly with the, it sounds like it was a packed train, was it? If there was about 400 people on board. Packed eight carriages, yeah. It was a big, long train packed full of people. And yeah, that's the thing is that, like I said, look, for everyone, un- thankfully, there was no real major medical emergencies that we couldn't have handled ourselves. Um, you know, there was no young children particularly great. who were having a hard time. So that was great. But like, that's the important thing is in these situations, Irish Rail need to look at this is a scenario that happened. How are all of our stations equipped to handle this? Like the water refill stations, I think, should be the minimum, you know, that people can refill their bottles of water mm. or at least that there's a vending machine. That, like Port Arlington is a very busy station and it's where the Galway train branches off, you know, from to Dublin and down to Cork. And so the fact that there's not so much as even a waiting room there, you yeah. know, everyone was kind of huddled in and it was a very, very, uh, you know, everybody was really, really sardined in out of the rain trying to hide there, you know. OK, but you got home in one piece, which is the main thing. Um, and, and listen, brilliantly put together email, I have to say, so much so that we, we couldn't let the day pass without bringing uh, Jack on. It won't deter you from travelling with Irish Rail again, Jack. Look, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Like, these things happen, you know, and, um, you know, I, I do get the train from time to time and it's not too bad. And I'd say, you know, if there is anybody, say, from Dublin coming out to Cork, for example, for the, the, the big Munster um, Palestinian Solidarity Rally that's on this Saturday, that I'd say maybe at least book your tickets in advance to save a bit of money and uh, maybe get a, a train just a few hours earlier, just in case. And I would, I would also say pack a picnic. Go prepared. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. Have, prepare for have, all eventualities. Have your jam sandwiches and uh, your, your bottle of water. Exactly. Somebody says pink snacks, Patricia. Are they hardly still out there now? Are the pink snacks gone? I still have a pink snack. Okay, listen, Jack, uh, good to have you back safe and sound. Thanks for that. Thanks, Mel. And uh, thanks uh, for uh, joining us. I don't know how many others uh, were on that train with Jack, but a good, I, what I love was the fact that it was a good-natured bunch. Everybody realised it wasn't Irish Rail's fault when trains break down, trains break down. It did remind me of a journey many years ago when I was doing the adoption process, actually, with Marsha. I'd been on the train. I had to go to Dublin uh, with her and uh, a train broke down and we, I wasn't, I'm sure it was in Port Leash and we had to transfer onto another train and we did transfer onto another train and would you believe the second train went on fire and we had to get off that train but when the second train went on fire I had gone to the loo with Marsha and when I came back out everyone was gone off the train and I didn't know why next there was frantically somebody on saying get off the train it's on fire it's on fire and like that I had people waiting to collect us at the train station in Houston and they were waiting hours before we got there but it was good to see how good the good spirits of everyone because everyone realises these things can happen. Okay that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for Producing with a reminder to you to download the C103 app on your phone and make sure you have snapped a screenshot because Nick Richards will be getting more qualifiers this afternoon, as will Martina. And then Martina this afternoon, one lucky listener will get that call back and somebody at the close of business today will be €500 Euro better off. Snap the app, download today and listen to play all week long only on C103. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 for the final one of the week. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. 
Cork Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie.